Well, good morning, men. Good morning. As Neil told you, my name's Richard Craig. A um, little bit of history about myself. I grew up in the Tacoma Puyallup area. Uh, grew up in the Catholic Church. Walked away at about the age of 15. Um, I don't know if any of you have been in the Catholic Church growing up, but it's not like getting saved in the Catholic Church. I got saved many years later. Um, I majored. I went to Green River Community College, majored in law enforcement, picked up a couple other AAs, never used any of them, wound up getting started driving a dump truck. Um, did that for almost nine years. First child was born. About six months later, my wife went back to work. I became a stay-at-home dad. Did that for probably, well, I'm still basically doing it. Um, in that time, I picked up part-time jobs working night shifts. Had lots of friends who owned construction companies. I could drive, mechanic, whatever. Um, I had met my wife in 1992 at a little cozy New Year's Eve party. Um, six of us at the party. Never thought much about her or anything. We're just there at the party. Wound up dating her about four months later and got, let's see, we're engaged a year later and married three months later. So it all went pretty fast when it started happening. Um, the last couple years, I got into Bible Study Fellowship ten years ago. Um, changed my life. I'll tell you, you guys are hungry for the Word. It don't get no better than that as far as in-depth study been a group leader for the last five and a half years. Over that time, I've been finding God bringing men to me. Um, kind of an interesting turn. Um, mentorship type stuff. A lot of young boys, a lot of guys suffering with marriage. Um, 2013, um, August 29th and 31st, been married almost 19 years at that point. Um, daughters were 14 and 16. Um, my wife didn't eat dinner. I'm like, yeah, something's wrong. My wife, like me, she likes to eat. Um, so I looked at her and I said, honey, either you go to the doctor tomorrow or we're going to go to the doctor's office and I'll sit in the middle of the room and they're going to see you because I'm not leaving. So she made an appointment and I knew she was a little stubborn. She, uh, she made the appointment and went in and found out that her liver was all out of whack. Um, something we had been watching for about 10 years. She had a rare disease, uh, erythropoietic protoporphyria. It's a type of porphyria, bone marrow disorder. It was hereditary, and it's been creating protoporphyrins her entire life, and it has about the same effect on the liver as alcohol. So her liver never got a break. It was constant. And as you get older and part of your liver starts to deteriorate, you still have this protoporphyrins coming at the same rate. It starts accelerating because you've got less liver to deal with it. Um, we were looking forward to a potential liver transplant at one time. Well, uh, let's see, on Saturday, that was Thursday, Friday, she had went to the doctor. On Saturday, we wound up in the emergency room because the pain was so bad she couldn't handle it. Um, it was just in and out of the hospital from that point. Her uh, 
her doctor she had that had been monitoring her liver for quite some time. It was they they released her out of the hospital on Saturday after we were there, just gave her pain meds and sent her home. I'm like, What is this? We gotta do something. Called her doctor Monday morning and he's not a believer. Um, actually an atheist. He took and immediately came out of surgery. He was in between surgical procedures in the morning, called me back at like 7.30 in the morning and said, I've got a room waiting for you in the hospital. Get her up here now. So I took her up, spent the next probably week, um, over two weeks, probably a week, in the hospital at Valley, um, in and out of the hospital type deal. They started doing some... Uh, what do they call it? Plasmapheresis, where they do a plasma exchange. They take the, the dirty plasma out of your body, run it through a centrifuge. I don't know how it works, but it's kind of like giving platelets. And then they put clean blood back in you and they add clean plasma from a donor back in. Well, the plasma coming out made Starbucks coffee look good. And the plasma going in looked like apple juice. So that's what it's supposed to look like. That's how dirty it was. Um, it took a couple weeks before they decided to finally transfer her up to the UW transplant clinic. She had previously met with um, a doctor at the transplant clinic. So she was all prepared, one of his patients already. He assured me we had this thing ready to go. We had it all under control. And we still hadn't done any tests to see if she was able to have a transplant at this point. They run you through probably 30 different tests, checking for cancer. It, they just keep going. Um, oh. By now, our pastor at our church came. Our whole church was rallying around us. I had meals coming. I had care for the kids if I needed it. I had rides to get the kids up to the hospital after school. Um, I had youth leaders and moms taking my girls out to get coffee or to talk or just have them over for dinner. Um, one of my pastors came up to the hospital and said, I don't know what's going on, but he goes, it looks like the Carol Ann Crusades at church. He said, it's just absolutely amazing. I've never seen a body pulled together like this. We have probably... 800 attenders on a regular basis, probably 600 committed members in my church. <clears throat> but they were they were definitely abounding in a great love for us. Um, about one and a half weeks into this, my youngest, Taylor, was sitting at the dinner table, wouldn't eat dinner. I kept looking at her said, Honey, you got to eat. And she's a skinny little thing. Not anorexic. She's got enough meat on her bones, but she just wouldn't eat. And I said, you, you're not getting up until you eat half that plate. You, get, you, you have to eat something. So I went upstairs, took a shower, came back down, and she was sitting on the couch with Mom. She had her arms around her, and that child wailed for 45 minutes. No child should have to. I, I, I knew she was fearing Mom dying. I knew at that time, too. To watch out with your kids is just tough. Excuse me. 
Um, as I've said, I've, I've done quite a few things. I'm a, a heavy equipment mechanic now, an independent. So I started to go back to work a little bit. Um, friends would shuttle my wife. I had people lining up to drive her to Seattle Cancer Care Alliance for her treatments. They did not have a plasma phoresis unit anywhere around down here. So they were having to go into Seattle three to four times a week. We put out a two-week calendar of when her treatments were. It was literally full within a half hour, and people were on a waiting list. We want to take her. We want to take her. One of her good friends went in to get her liver tested to find out if she could donate half her liver. Um, that's that's a really big thing for a friend ready to do that for you. Really touched us. One of the things I I want to share too about uh, my Bible study that was interesting because it started back up at the end of August. I was in the middle of this ordeal and. I went in, my leader already knew, my teaching leader already knew what was going on in life. And he looked at me and said, you need to be here. And I'm like, I don't know if I can be. He goes, you need to stay in God's word. You need to keep focused on God. You need to be here. Let these men love on you. We have about 46 men that are leaders. He goes, Saturday morning, he goes, I don't care if your lesson's blank. He goes, just be here and let the guys love on you and pray for you. Um, and I did, and I, I am totally grateful for that because the men rallied around me. As Neil was telling you, he once he figured out what was going on in my life, he grabbed a hold of me. He hasn't let go since. I get this call every couple weeks. Young man, we haven't gotten together to talk lately. I think it's time for breakfast. And and he has been he has been just an absolute blessing to me. It's God sent. Thank you, Neil. My uh, my earthly father didn't do a great job of loving me, but I have to say my heavenly father has shown me so much through this. And I think that's... I've been finding this a lot the last few years that as men, we're not very good sometimes and we make a lot of mistakes with our kids and our wives. But our Heavenly Father never makes a mistake. And I kind of think He left us imperfect so we wouldn't idolize our heavenly fa- our earthly Father, but we would praise our Heavenly Father because He's perfect and always delivers good to us. Um, one of the things I, I watched, I'm going to read this because I had it all wrote out. Um, my faith was tested and He gave me strength. So I want to ask you guys this. If you don't work out or exercise, will you get any stronger? Well, I believe it's the same way for our faith. Testing is an exercise opportunity. Let me explain this. Faith gets stronger when you're tested because the truth about what you believe is what your reaction will be. When life started coming apart at the seams, I hung on to our Lord knowing that He has a plan and I get to be part of it. So, do you guys hang on to the Lord with all your might when life is going good? And that's what I found in Bible study for me. Because I hung on to His Word and I learned who He was and what He wanted. And by doing that, when everything hit the fan, 
I knew where to hang on to and what to hang on to and who mattered and who was going to get me through this. Uh, Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, through the valley, not around it, not over it, not under it, through it. He walks with us through the trials and we have to go through them to get out of them. Um, During the second month of Carol Ann's ordeal, we're into September now, she was probably 60% of herself. Um, She was starting to get pretty poisoned. They increased the plasmapheresis treatments and they started having to give her transfusions as well. She was all concerned, honey, I'm going to have to get blood. And I'm like, yeah. You know, concerned maybe of catching something. I'm like, so what? It's it's a chance we're going to take. And um, there was so many people that got to witness our faith while we were in the hospital. Um, we were constantly praying. People were coming and praying with her. There were very few people that didn't get affected or touched and heard about Jesus. We were constantly talking about Jesus. And it just... It was a wonderful opportunity to use to share that faith. Six to seven weeks in, she started getting ammonia poisoning. And so liver filters the ammonia out of her body, and it was nothing was keeping up with it. They started something called lactulose, which is a nasty medicine. It didn't do it. She started uh, she started getting delirium. Uh, didn't make any sense to me. I didn't quite understand. Um, Then she took one night before we went back in the hospital, drugged me in the bedroom, said, shut the door. She looked at me. She said, don't let them put me on life support. I didn't know what that meant at the time. She knew something. That was probably one to two weeks prior Um, in, when she was in the hospital, at last time we had some friends we call mom and dad. They're actually some of her friends' parents, but they really adopted us the last 10 years. Just became family. We, uh, they were coming over to take her in for a plasma phoresis treatment, and I was headed off to work. I'm being optimistic. i got to take care of my customers. I've got to keep income flowing. And they came over. And they were getting ready to take her, and she's like, honey, I feel sick. I can't do this. And so we called the plasma phoresis place, got a hold of the doctor. He said, just take her to UW emergency. They'll triage you, get you in a lot faster. So we drove. they drove us, the four of us, up to ER. I canceled work. Drove up to the ER, and they said, there is some sort of infection going on in your body. They couldn't find it. They couldn't figure it out. They had probably six different IVs of liquid antibiotics going into her body. Um, they couldn't figure it out. And that was, I want to say, like a Wednesday or Thursday. Um, by Saturday, they told me her oxygen levels were low. So they wanted to put her on a CPAP. I said, well, she sleeps with a CPAP. I'll bring it in. So we brought her CPAP machine in and hooked her up to that. They evidently didn't put an oxygen monitor on her in the middle of the night because she ripped it off. She didn't want it on. She, I don't know if it was 
because she didn't want it on her was the delirium from the ammonia poisoning. But they found her down in her 80s on her oxygen level, and that's not good. Low 80s. Um, they took and told me at that point that we were going to need to intubate her for a couple of days. And I said, well, she didn't want life support. And they said, well, we think she just needs a couple of days to get through this infection. So I said, okay. They put her on the, they put the tube in her, drugged her up, so she really couldn't communicate much. Over the next few days, she consistently grabbed a hold of that tube trying to pull it out. I looked at her one day and I said, do you want it out? She looked at me and she just, yeah. I said, do you know what that means? She goes, yeah. I said, it means you're going to be with Jesus. I said, are you ready? She thought for a while. She shook her head, no. I said, then you've got to leave it in. We've got to get you through this. Um, finally, uh, the kids tell me it was Tuesday. I thought it was Monday, but the kids tell me Tuesday the doctors called for a meeting. And I thought, okay, we're finally getting somewhere with this. They had been rushing like crazy to get all of the transplant stuff done. In the last week or so, they did all the tests. Why they weren't done earlier, I don't know. Um, but as they rushed her through all those tests, I got a call on Friday before she had just made the transplant list. So Tuesday we had a meeting at 4 o'clock. I sit down in a room half this size or a little smaller, and one of the guys goes, hey, would you like some water? I go, sure, that'd be great. So he brought in a pitcher of water and one cup and set it in front of me. And here I am in a room with all of these medical professionals sitting around, and I'm like, something's wrong with this picture. This is a weird meeting. They, they totally blindsided me. Um, they went through telling me what they had done, each person of the team participating, and then finally the lead doctor looked at me and said, we can make her comfortable. That's all we can do. They had taken her tube and turned down the air way low on her intubation tube and lowered her medication. She was not able to breathe on her own. There was damage to the diaphragm. Some, whether it was the lack of oxygen or the ammonia poisoning, her right leg wouldn't move. It kept falling out of bed, and she couldn't move it to pick it up. And she couldn't squeeze her right hand anymore when you talked to her. Um, I'm thinking maybe she had some kind of stroke or something part of her right side had received some sort of paralysis in that. So th at that time, when I knew it was time, I knew she wanted that tube out anyway. I called my family. I had her sister call her family. I made all the phone calls. And the next morning, the family was there. One of the hardest parts about this whole thing was after the doctors had told me, they said, do you want us to send anybody in? I said, yeah. Send my girls in. Send my sister in. And I told them. Nobody should have to tell their kids that. 
Nobody. So the next day, her family was all there at four. I, uh, I couldn't be in the room when they took the tube out. Her best friend was in with her, but I, I couldn't do it. I just, I couldn't watch the ordeal of taking that tube out on my baby. Um, they took the tube out. We, like I said, there was probably 40 people there. I had my, my teaching leader, our three pastors from our church, handful of friends, and all the rest was family that had gathered. Um, we were all around the bed praying. There's a fair amount of non-believers in that group. Started singing Amazing Grace. Um, the girls... I gave each one of the girls five minutes at the beginning. They brought the books that their mom used to read to them in the rocking chair. And they read them to their mother. And uh, she said something, five or six words. Nobody knows what it was. The three of us heard it. But after having an innovation tube in, they... It's like taking sandpaper to the vocal cords. Nothing makes sense. Um, her breaths, I don't know if you've ever watched somebody as they start going. Many times they they take a... And then it might go 20 seconds. That's what she was doing. And we were watching 30 seconds, 40 seconds. They were getting longer and longer, more labored. You, you knew it was coming. We're sitting around singing Amazing Grace. I looked at her and I said, Honey, it's okay to go. It's okay. You can let go. Jesus is going to be there. Just take his hand. Just go with him. And then my daughters actually started saying the same thing. I, I don't know. God must have gave them an awful lot of strength to say that. And she probably needed to hear her girls say that. So I don't think she could let go, knowing she was leaving her babies. So many people flew in for her memorial from all over the country. Um, we had six people speaking. Oh, I back up a little bit. My brother helped me, and my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law is a funeral director. He took care of most everything for his sister, which I was surprised he could do. Um, my other brother helped me to find a crematory. And just, he goes, we got to do this now. The hospital needs a decision. I'm going to help you. So he did. <coughs> and oh, I don't want to forget. At the memorials, oh, one more. Her friend Della. We had went through this process just two years earlier with her husband, Randy. He was 49. He died of cancer. Found out and was gone four months later. Had almost beat the treatment. Infection hit him when he was done with the treatment. He had only had a week or two to go. He was, uh, what do they call it, neutropenic. Absolute zero abilities to fight off anything. And we were all around his bed praying. And that was something, all of us, it was our home group. We looked at each other and said, that's how I want to go brothers and sisters around me, praying and singing praise to God, just off in a blaze of glory. 
And Carol and I both said we wanted that, and she got that. But Della had talked to Carol Ann two weeks before. And Della had talked to her about her memorial service. My wife knew she was not going to make it. But we never talked about that. She never told me. She had all the songs picked out. She had her pastor picked out. She had all the decision made. Her and Della had talked to her. Maybe Della solicited the conversation, knowing what she had went through when Randy passed. And uh, there was only one hymn in the bunch. I think, uh, I want to say it was How Great Thou Art. All the rest of them were throw your hands up and praise God music. Um, a lot of people told me that they've never seen a memorial quite like that. Um, it was a memorial. It was not a funeral. It was a celebration of her life. Uh, about 600 people. And I'm guessing prob our church only holds 400. Um, I'm guessing probably a third to a half don't know Jesus but they got, I told the pastor he goes well what do you want me to talk about I said nail that gospel home I said that's what she would want was those people all her friends she worked with to know who Jesus is and who she was being one of his children and uh, so that's what we did and it was myself my two daughters her best friend her sister and a young lady that we've more or less adopted into our families. Her family's non-Christian. And she's she's about 30, a little bit older than her children. And anyway, they all spoke. The pastor wouldn't open up the mic. He said, I'll never get the mic back. He said, we'll never get it back from all these people. <laughs> so we went ahead, we did that. And so many people just said it was unbelievable. He said it was like the... The Holy Spirit was on you guys. There was such joy in your hearts as you were up there celebrating her life. It was You could feel the pain, but there was something about it. And unfortunately, nobody... I wish somebody had video recorded it because I was like, what are you talking about? And they said it was just unbelievable to see those kids with joy in their hearts knowing where their mom is. And maybe that's because they also spend a lot of time in the Word and they know the Word well. And they love the Lord. Um, the next six months for me was really hard. In and out of depression. Uh, still trying to work. Kids would come home. I was still laying on the couch. And I made them go back to school after a couple of days. I talked to a few people and they said, get them back in. They need to get back into something. So I did. And... I decided I'd listen to what my wife would always say. Always say, honey, what about counseling? We never got counseling in our marriage. We needed to, but we never did. Um, so I was like, wow, I need to listen to what she actually said. I'm going to get the girls into counseling and myself. Did counseling for a while, and that helped a little bit. Um, girls didn't like the counselor. I picked a woman counselor so they might feel comfortable, and then would use her for all three of us. <coughs> So she would be treating the same issue with all of us. Um, they did two or three treatment, 
uh, visits with her, and they're like, ain't digging it, Dad. It ain't working. So we stopped. <coughs> Over the next uh, year and a half, well, I'll well, back up just a quick sec here. In probably April, one of my customers came to me, and that was when the economy had taken quite the drop. This would have been in, what was it, 14, the spring of 2014. The economy took a drop, and he said, Rich, i got to let you go. I can't use your services anymore. I can barely stay afloat, and I can't afford your bill every month to take care of the trucks and equipment. And I said, so what do you just want me to do the maintenance and the brakes on them or what? He goes, nothing. Well, that was between sixty dollars and $120,000 of my income. Carol Ann's income was gone. I had some life insurance in the bank, and now I lose my main customer. Now I'm down to five hundred to 1000 a month income when I'm used to 8 to 10 a month. <laughs> so... Depression started to sit in again. I remember laying in bed one night crying. I had my hands up to the ceiling and I'm just crying, Why, Lord? Why? Why? And then I hear this voice that uh, he told me, You're not trusting me. I was cut to the heart. I was like, To hear those words, You're not trusting me. I'm like, Where am I not trusting you? And it's like, Well, I'm sitting there thinking about it. You're not trusting that I don't have plans for you. And I was thinking of Jeremiah 29:11, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, give you a hope and a future. I think I might have one other verse, not to harm you. But I, I thought about that, and I'm like, yeah. So, wasn't a week or two later, I'm talking to one of my customers, a good friend of mine, and we were talking about it, and he goes, he didn't even know what I was charging him because he didn't see the bills. He goes, what What are you charging anyway? And I told him, he goes, that's not market value, is it? I go, no, I'm about $20 an hour below market value. He goes, well, jack it up. I'll be the first customer. He goes, you jack it up 20 bucks more an hour and let's go. So I did. I lost a couple of customers over the course of the next two months. God brought me four more customers at the higher rate. Um, some of the customers didn't like my rate, wanted to negotiate them, and I was like, I'm sorry. I've been way below. You've been getting a great deal for a long time. I, I need to be close, and I'm still a couple bucks below market value. Um, but God blessed me with more work, more than I could handle. I was working 60 hours a week for a while. Um, just poured out tons of monetary blessings in that that department. For God never ceases to amaze me how He... Uh, he takes and does these things just the way He wants to do His blessings. About six months into this, my friend Nancy, elderly woman at my church, I call her mom sometimes, asked me, Rich, I want you to come do grief share with me. I was like, nah, it seems awful mechanical. I'm, not, I'm, I'm a people person. I'm about hands-on, face-to-face, and that just seems mechanical with the video and the book. And This is pain. This is more. This is a different way of doing this. She, she kept trying. Finally, in the summer that year, she came to me and said, Rich, Pam can't help me lead grief share. Will you help me co-lead the class? So she said, pray about it. I didn't want to. 
I prayed about it. God stirred me up a little bit. So I went and I told her yes. And I said, I just got one question, Nancy. Did you ask me to co-lead Grief Share because you needed a partner to co-lead with? Or did you ask me because you really wanted me to take the Grief Share class? And she started crying. I knew the answer. That was all she had to do. I knew how much she loved me. She just knew I needed some healing, and I wasn't getting that. Since then, I have led the Grief Share class twice. I'll be leading another one in September. It's uh, unfortunately one of those classes you need a prerequisite of suffering the pain of losing someone close. It just kind of requires that you understand. I may not understand what it's like to lose a child, but I know what it's like to lose a wife. So there's, there's a deep thing there that happens in your heart. And I don't know if any of you guys have gone through that, but when your spouse dies, it's not like your friend dying and six months later it goes away. To me, it's more like taking an orange and putting the navel against the palm of your hand and the top against the other and shoving your thumbs right in the side with the peel still on and breaking it in half. It's shredded. And it don't just heal. I still, I'm two years and two, two and a half, two years, eight months, somewhere around there. I still cry. I still miss my girl. I still roll over in the middle of the night and touch an empty pillow. Um, had to sleep in another bed for a while. Anyway, um, over the last couple of years, I've also had a large amount of back pain. Um, I've always had low back pain, but I was getting a lot of back pain, mid-back, all the way to the base of my skull. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm hunched over, I have poor posture, I've had physical therapy for that, that's probably a lot of it. And working on trucks, you're throwing around 120-pound brake drums all the time. And you're always down here putting them on. So I'm thinking, that's what's killing me. It's just, I need to stop doing brakes and tires. It got worse. Um, Come November 15th of, what are we in, 16, 15, 2015, I started getting headaches. And then I started getting depression. Kids started noticing it in November. I didn't notice it till December. I said, okay. I'd already been going to the chiropractor. I'd already been going in to get uh, massages twice a month. So I was doing that. I decided I'm going back to counseling for the depression. I'm going to go see a naturopath because I think my chemicals are off. Uh, Have them check my serotonin and dopamine. Talking to my doctor as well. So I'm doing all the right stuff. And the headaches got real bad. This is what I understand. I don't remember about four months of my life. Um, I was a grumpy jackass. I was not nice to people. Supposedly, probably a year before, not knowing, told my best friend to go F himself. And I'm like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. I was like, wow, really? No, I didn't do that. You're you're imagining that. Well, I don't know. There there were lots of things going on, but the, the pain was getting so bad, I was having a headache almost every day. And it was, I was alternating between Tylenol, ibuprofen, and naproxen sodium. 
I was probably taking 10 to 12 of those things a day, whatever it was I was taking. Um, and I would get little bouts where the headache would let go and the massage would work for a day or two. And I was getting golf ball-sized lumps in my muscles. Um, February 13th, I was out to dinner with some friends. And my buddy's wife looked at me and I had tears running down my face. She goes, what's going on? I go, oh, I got another headache. I need to go and get some ibuprofen. She goes, no, you're having a migraine. That's not a good thing. You need to go to the hospital and get checked out and then give you a shot and that migraine will go away. It'll calm right down. You'll feel better. And I, now I don't need to. And she looks at me and she goes, Rich, you need to be there for your daughters. God reached right inside and grabbed a hold of my heart and said, yeah, you need to be there for your girls. Mom's gone. So I... We finished dinner. I handed the keys to my friend Ron. Went into the multi-care in Covington, little small emergency room, thinking that they're just going to check me out, give me a shot, and I'm going home. They ran a CT scan. I don't remember them doing it. I just remember the doctor coming in, telling me, you have a mass in your head, and we're sending you to TG, Tacoma General, to get an MRI. And I'm going... Okay, well, Ron, won't you drive me down there? I said, no, sir. The ambulance is on its way. You're not leaving. There will be a nurse riding with you in the ambulance. I'm going, what? I've been having these headaches for months. I got a mouse in my head. Why can't he drive me? You're not leaving. So 1 o'clock in the morning, they drove me to Tacoma. I went in at about 7. I only remember them talking to me at the beginning and the end. I don't remember nothing in between. Um, I got the MRI. Doctor came in. I don't know what time. Time was lost at that time. They were probably giving me pain medicine. Um, told me, you have a meningioma. I'm like, what's a meningioma? He said, it's a brain tumor. He said, you have a tennis ball sized brain tumor in your right forehead, pushing your brain back on your frontal lobe. And I'm like, oh Lord, no, this is not what my girls need now. Daddy's going to die of some sort of cancer, brain tumor. And I said, so what do we do? He's like, we have to take it out. And I'm like, I've seen people who've had brain surgery. I had an aunt that had about six or seven of them. Every time they opened her up, that thing was like pouring fertilizer on it. And it just grew all through her brain. She lost her speech. She lost her writing. She lost one eye. She lost part of her hearing. She had to go through occupational therapy every time. You know, I, beautiful woman. She was a nun. You know, it was a strong Catholic family I grew up in. And then here she was in her 40s dying of that. But I was—I had all these thoughts running through my mind. And the doctor showed me a picture of it. If any of you guys want, I'll show you afterwards. I have it on my phone of the MRI. But it literally looked like a tennis ball shoved into my head and just crammed in there. And he told me in a meningioma... There's a blanket around your brain, like a sac that holds your brain, contains your spinal fluid, and it also works like a pad to keep your brain from bouncing too hard against your skull. So he told me, he looked at me, and he said, Rich, if I had to have a brain tumor, he goes, that's the one I would pick. And he goes, if I had to have a location, pick a location, he goes, that's the location I would pick. He goes, best case scenario on this. Um, so 
okay, we're, we're going in for surgery. I, I don't know how many drugs I was on at this time or what, but my sister told me, and I remembered it later, do you remember praying for the doctor? This doctor was not a Christian. <clears throat> Very smart man, but I could definitely tell he was not a Christian because when I prayed over his hands for God's blessing, he just kind of went like that, you know, rolled his eyes. I'm like, oh, dude, you're a non-believer. You're in trouble now. You're going to get prayed on. Um, so he did the surgery, came back in a day or two later, and he looked at me, and he goes, hey, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great. Look at me. You know, I'm all bandaged up, this sock on my head with a tassel on top, look kind of dorky. <laughs> I had a full beard at the time. It was real scraggly. I hadn't trimmed it in a while as I was going through depression. I didn't care how I looked. It's all gray in the middle and just speckled. And I looked about 25 years older than I do now. Um, and he goes, wow, I can't believe how good you're doing. You are doing good. And I said, you know why, don't you? I said, because God blessed your hands. And he gave me the roll of the eyes. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't going to stop. Um, let's see. Um, as I was going through, one of the things as I was going through the ICU before this meeting back with the doctor, I'm in the ICU laying in there. Noisy as all get out at Tacoma General, but the best care I've ever had in the world. And I've had quite a few hospital visits and all this stuff with my wife. It was phenomenal. The people were just, you would swear they were like Mother Teresa. They all just served you and took care of all your needs. You asked something, somebody was on it. So they can't control the noise in there. It gets very noisy. They're very busy. Lots of emergency people they're taking care of. It was like a critical, big-time critical area. Um, I told my nurse, I said, Mo, I can't take this anymore. I haven't slept in like three days, no more than a couple hours. I'm getting delirious, and I'm starting to have hallucinations. I need some sleep. It wasn't very long before. Again, I don't know how long it was, but I don't think it was very long. I was on morphine at the time. The charge nurse that's in charge of the entire ICU came in and said, Mr. Craig, I'm looking for you a room right now in the hospital. And I assure you that as soon as one comes available, the first one is yours. Um, that room finally came available later that day. They wheeled me out at 1030 at night out of ICU to that room. Dark, dingy looking through that old part of the hospital. I'm like, looking around, big open area. I'm like, where are they taking me? They were doing a lot of construction, so it didn't look so great. They rolled me into this other room, and I'm looking, it's really open, and there was a little nurse's station, but I didn't see any rooms. They opened up this little room, put me in the room. I thought they were putting me in a closet. I'm like, you know, the drugs are affecting you. It looked like a janitor's closet. It was. It seemed like it was just a little bigger than this table. It was probably, probably could have fit six of these tables in there. But they put me in there, and I asked the nurse, I said, could you do me a favor? I said, I haven't slept in a few days. I'm a little crazy. I said, can you give me something to sleep? Do all my vital checking right now. Put a note on my door to leave me alone. Give me my pain meds now. 
Just knock me out and leave me alone. She goes, we can do that. God blessed me. Let me tell you, I needed it bad. So they knocked me out. I woke at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm looking around. It's all dark. I'm in this little bitty room. It's so dark, I can't tell anything in the room. looked totally different when I was coherent and could see in the daylight. But that night, I'm looking out the window. There's moss on the outside of the building. And I like the the green moss that comes off the fir trees onto the cars, the pollen. It's on the side of a white building. You can see the other floors of the building. There's lights hanging from the ceiling, dangling with the light bulb in them. It's obvious that it's under construction, this this other wing. Um, I'm looking at that. The lights are shining up from the street. I thought I was in the twilight zone. I'm like, this this is not good. Did they just wheel me into a warehouse and dump me <laughs> off? And it, it, you know, the, the medication messes with you. So I looked in the chair beside the bed, one of them lounge chair recliners for for the loved ones to sit in. And my wife wasn't there. And I really realized, I said, I'm all alone. She would have been sitting in that chair all night long. You know, like my best friend had done, that took me to the hospital. He sat with me for two days and didn't leave. He stayed right there. But... um she wasn't there. And I'm like, wow, I'm all alone. And I just started crying. Had an overwhelming feeling. I'm like, I should call the nurses. No, I don't know who's going to come in here. Is the janitor going to come in here? I don't know where I'm at. So I'm looking down and there's some sort of object at the foot of the bed. I don't know what it was. And this feeling just came through my heart. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I would just, thank you, Lord. And I started singing praise songs um, I started praying and singing and I started singing out loud I have probably a half hour I sang to the Lord just an overwhelming peace he gave me you know I, I knew it's going to be okay no matter what happens here it's all going to be okay we're in good shape um, next couple days there were a lot of visitors that were coming in um, my phone was ringing off the hook. I had to keep it plugged in almost all the time. It was just blowing up constantly. And I finally had to start slowing down some of the visitors because I, I just couldn't get any rest. I was overwhelmed with love. Uh, people from church and friends, people I hadn't seen in years, they're just all showing up. So backing up a little, all this pain I'd been having for years the muscle spasms, the back pain, and then the depression that came on later, I noticed when I first came to in that room that next day, I'm like, hey, no more headache. No more back pain. All gone. And by now, I'm flirting with the nurses. I'm feeling good again. I'm, I'm feeling great. It's like, it's like God had shut the spigot off for my serotonin and dopamine and opened up a fire hose because I was feeling really, really good. I could. What was amazing though is I, I felt like I had a ton of energy till they got me out of bed. Three days on my back, I couldn't walk, and I stand all day, ten to fourteen hours. I couldn't walk. I couldn't stand hardly. Tried walking me down the hall, and I'm bumping into the walker, and they're holding on to me, and I'm like, this is crazy. Um. 
But God brought that back. Um, one of the things I'd like to... Oh, on the 13th was when I went into the hospital. 13th, 7 o'clock at night. On the 18th, I was home in my own bed 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'd had surgery on a Monday morning and Thursday I was already home. Uh, God was amazing in, in how fast this happened because I'm thinking I'm going to have months of rehab and being in the hospital and everything. Everything works great. I, you know, they, they have you do all these different tests and everything. Seeing everything works great. Every once in a while, I lose a word or two. And I'm sitting here trying to find that word. But that's the worst of it. And I'm like, I probably did that before and just didn't know it because I wasn't thinking about it. Um, I'm probably happier now than I probably was when I first got married. I don't know. I don't think this tumor was there very long. I had an MRI eight years ago on Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is not good for me. But eight years ago I had it on Valentine's Day because I had a couple of TIAs, but it affected my speech in the same way this tumor had affected, the surgery from the tumor had affected my speech in the beginning. I'd lose words and start jumbling and Maybe the tumor was already there in that spot and they didn't see it the first time when they thought I had TIAs. Um, let's see. So while I was in the hospital, I had close to 20 people come up and ask me, Rich, why aren't you a pastor? I told Jesus to everybody. I shared with everybody. I heard... I shared with the janitor when she came in to clean my bathroom. Um, had a Catholic priest come in. And we sat down and he didn't know a Protestant brother could be a brother. Because as we sat down and talked, and I realized this Catholic priest actually knew Jesus. He had a relationship. We sat down and had a wonderful conversation. He goes, why can't people sit down and talk like this? I feel like I've known you all my life. I said, I don't know. That's, that's what we do. You just you love Jesus, you love Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, but I still need to call him. I need to find that guy. He's in Bremerton. But I want to I start a relationship with him, just talking, conversing. Over the last years, probably, I don't know, three to four years, I've read, no, it's less than that. It'd be right after my wife died. I read the book of Job three times. Um, just finished reading it again a couple weeks ago. And I wanted to really understand, I think the Bible tells us how to deal with pain and how we go through pain. And as I read the book of Job, we see that Satan goes to God and says, well, the only way that, or the only reason Job praises you is... You give him so much. He's got all these blessings upon him. And then I look and I like, I lost my wife. And I hung on to him and it was hard. And I don't know if that was a test or not. But, you know, to go through that, then six months later to lose my finances, and then another year, year and a half later to have this brain tumor, 
I sit there and wonder, has Satan asked to sift me as wheat? Is it, you know, I think God lets us go through things to refine us. I, I, I don't know. That's just my thought on that. Take it for what it's worth. But if you look, many of the characters in the Bible, God walked them through a lot. Moses grew up away from his family for the most part. Then somewhat an outcast with his family as he tried to save them. And they didn't want nothing to do with him kind of deal because they were having to make more bricks because of him trying to help. To spending the next 40 years suffering out in the desert chasing sheep and goats. And then to spend the next 40 years with a bunch of whiners. I mean, you know, God, God lets us go through an awful lot. And we know that Moses was one of those guys that was very, very special to the Lord. Um, and so was Job as he hung on to his faith, kept praising God. Um, so back to the part, oh, another thing. This darkness that's happened in my life. I keep liking, this happened when my wife got sick and started dying. I was thinking of God, this, this black spot in my life. Maybe God's in heaven painting a picture. And there's always different colors that make a picture happen. And I got a feeling that it was almost like some of the black strokes on a beautiful mural that we're not going to see that beautiful mural till we get to heaven. But he's painting a picture with our lives just as Christ's death was an awful, ugly thing. But it was a beautiful piece of work, one laying down one's life for someone else's salvation. Um, that, that's kind of how I feel like this has all been to me. God's doing something big there. Since many of my friends had made those comments about why are you not a pastor, it was something that my wife and I had talked about years ago. I've decided to take the step. I've inquired at Fuller Theological Seminary to look at what it would take to get a master's in divinity. I only have an AA. Oh, I asked him, I said, so what do I do what should I get my, my BA in? And they looked at me and they, or not looked at me, we were on the phone. They told me, well, what have you done to serve in ministry? How, much, how involved have you been? I said, well, BSF for 10 years, five and a half as a leader, two 13-week sessions, grief share, six years as a deacon, three trips to Nicaragua, three trips to Mexico, been ushering for almost 10 years on the host team for five or six years. And they go, well, you, you could stop there. I think you probably have enough time serving in ministry. You need to apply for a special student program where they would give you an honorary BA with some other qualifications. <coughs> and I think I have all those. So that's what I'm going to be filling out this week to, uh, to start looking, seeing where he's taking me. He's definitely calling me to do something. Um, I need to be listening. So I'm taking that step. So, if you don't mind, I'd like to close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, just uh, thank You, Lord. Thank You for this day. Thank You for these men in this church. Thank You for Your church, Lord. We, I pray that we would all be under the right church. There's so many different disseminations and differences going on, Lord. But pray that we would all focus on Your Son what He's done for us. And Lord, I, I don't know 
if there's any men in this group right now that that haven't accepted you as their Lord and Savior, Lord. But I don't know how anyone could go on through life. It, it must be just absolutely miserable not having a Lord to love them. So, Lord, I just want to pray right now, if there's a man in this room, that he might pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I just uh, I come to you as a sinner. I I try to do things and do works, Lord, but you, your Bible tells me they're just filthy rags. Um, Lord, I know I need a Savior, and I know that Savior is your Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only way to the Father through Him. Lord, I just... I lift up my sins to you. I confess my sins up to you, Lord, and ask you to be Lord of my life. Indwell me with your Holy Spirit. Show me your grace and your love. And just lead me and fill me with the hunger for your word and for service to your people. I just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You know... uh, Rich, uh, when he came out of the hospital, he uh, was out of the hospital for a week. And I called him and I said, hey, dude, it's time for breakfast. And lo and behold, a week out of the hospital, he met me for breakfast. And so here he is with a zipper going from here to here. And uh, staples, holding the whole thing together. And... uh, and it just was amazing because his sister is a nurse. Sister or sister-in-law? I have a step-niece, my brother's wife's daughter Okay. from another marriage. Okay, and she's the one that looked at you and said, no, you haven't had surgery. Yeah. Because normally when you do that kind of surgery, this part's brought down, this part's pulled back, they open up the cranium, they take the tumor out, they put the cranium back on, and then they put you all back together. And he had no black and blue marks from that surgery. One tiny little spot here that looked like a faded little bit of eyeliner from a woman's eyeliner. Just tiny little thing. And it was puffy. Told you to quit flirting with the nurses. <laughs> I had to tell him to take me off the meds so I would be a good boy. I was not being good. I was going to lose my testimony on them drugs. So... so so we just had, uh, it's been one of those things, it's a pleasure to get to know someone um, and then to watch them grow and to see them grow. And uh, God bless you, my friend. Thank you. We've been praying for you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for these men. Thank you for their attendance. Thank you for your work in Rich's life. And thank you for your work in ours. God, we lift you up. We praise you and we thank you. Amen. Yeah.